Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a mom of three kids, ages two, five, and seven, and I live in Southern California. And I'm Megan. I am the mom of five kids, ages six through 17, and I live in Michigan. This is the Mom Hour, part of the Life Listened Network. Hey everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Mom Hour. I'm Megan Francis, here without Sarah today, and we actually took this week off because our kids are back in school and just kind of, I don't know, getting back in the flow after the summer. But I'm really happy that we can um, bring you this great interview today to kind of give you your podcast fix. Today I'm interviewing Kimberly Palmer, who is the author of the book Smart Mom, Rich Mom, How to Build Wealth While Raising a Family. And Kimberly and I talk about how to um, save money, earn money, invest money, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a working mom. It's a great conversation and you're going to want to listen. Hi, Kimberly. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. So the topic of moms and money, I feel like, is fairly loaded (laughs) Um, because I think sometimes we don't want to think that anything bad might happen to us or that, you know, if we have a certain setup um, in the household and that tends to kind of fall along the lines of the more traditional role where dad earns the money and mom stays home and maybe sometimes doesn't and maybe dad manages the money. I think we sometimes don't want to talk about that as being a risky situation. Do you run into that when you hear from moms? I do. Actually, what really surprised me, and I have to admit, I I do this myself, but even today, even if moms are earning the money, it's so common to have a very traditional money setup where the husband is the one who is managing savings and investments and even even knowing where all the money is in terms of accounts and passwords. So I'm I'm just so surprised by that that it's still the case today because in some ways it sounds so retro and you know what really struck me is just thinking about the fact that at some point in our lives, there's such a high chance. It's actually 90% that comes from fidelity, 90% chance that we will have to be the ones managing our money because of things like divorce and just the fact that women tend to outlive 
men live longer. Mm -hmm. So it's so important for us, I think, to really, you know, embrace that role. Not only that, but there's just something that allows us, uh, a point that you made in your book several times is how much money we handle, um, moms handle on a day-to-day basis. And how really being involved in how the money is being handled kind of in that meta or the bigger, the big picture allows us to make better choices with the small amounts of money, which tend to be, and again, I'm generalizing, but we tend to kind of deal with things like the grocery budget and, you know, utilities and back to school shopping and that kind of thing. Um, So if we see the big picture, we can make better decisions for the small picture. That is so true. And it's what really, really motivated me to to write about these kind of bigger picture things that often increasingly do fall to moms is that so much of the um, like advertising and media aimed at us, aimed at moms when it comes to money is about exactly what you're saying, like the saving a dollar at the grocery store and couponing. Mm. And, you know, it's such a small, small part of our financial life and the, you know, the decisions we have to make for our kids and for our families. And so, yeah, I wanted to really step back and focus on those bigger, longer term things that we can play such a big role in setting up. I mean, doing things like opening up a college savings account or even saving for our own retirement. All of those big things are so, so important and have such a big impact on how our, how we feel financially over the long run. So let's talk about some of those big things, because I think, you know, you're so right. And I I think even when we were having a little back and forth before we set up the, our call, we were talking about how sometimes we can think so small. And then I got your book and read it. It was like there was a whole, I think you actually opened with the thing about couponing, which cracked yeah. me up because I have nothing against coupons. No. Um, I think they're great. But I do think that there there can definitely be this focus on the minutia uh, yes. when we're moms. We're, like, we're trying to save a dollar here and a dollar there and not, it can take a lot of time and energy um, to do that. And so that doesn't always leave energy for the big stuff. So maybe we should just define what the big stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and let me just say too, I find it so satisfying. I mean, it's, it feels so good to enter that coupon code and like save $5. So definitely I'm a fan of that too. But I mean, yes, exactly. The point is like, let's not spend all our time on that. So we don't do these bigger things. So the bigger things that that I'm talking about are things like taking out life insurance for your family. So, you know, you're prepared, um, for, you know, a tragedy prepared financially writing out, um, your estate plan and talking about some of those difficult things that aren't really that fun to think through, but are so important. Um, and then also another big, big one that can save families hundreds or even thousands of dollars a year is taking advantage of all of your workplace benefits. So if you have access to workplace benefits through either your own job or your partner's job, it can actually save you so much money. The big one is flex spending for families. So if you have access to flex spending for healthcare costs, childcare costs, transportation, just taking the time to make sure you're not leaving that money on the table. Same goes, of course, for retirement savings, signing up for if you have access to a 401k and matching, hugely benefits families in the long run. Um, and yeah, the other big, the big, big ones that are often people feel they're in competition with each other, but saving for college and saving for retirement. So making sure you are first have your own tax advantage plan set up. It might be a 401k or an IRA account. Um, if you're not currently working, you can still set up a spousal IRA account. And then, yeah, the the college savings. And the big one, of course, is, you know, people use the 529 account for the tax advantages, but just making slow and steady progress toward those big goals. That's what makes the difference in the long run. So, and another one that we can't, um, I guess, 
you know, not discuss is earnings because how you set up your earnings and your earning potential over a lifetime makes a huge difference. And I I know both Sarah and I, who's, you know, my other co-host, have made, like, I wouldn't say we left the workforce, but we both kind of took little ziggy zaggy self-employed kinds of (laughs) detours. And then we've got listeners who are completely out of the workforce and some who we just actually did a a show about um, working moms um, who with more traditional outside of the home jobs a couple of weeks ago. So there's a huge variety there, but I think everyone, no matter what path they take, has some power or control um, about how they can strategically do that. So if you take an exit from the workforce, what's it going to look like when you come back and, and that kind of thing? Because the timing can make a huge difference. It, it totally can. And actually what you just outlined, those were the three. So I grouped the, in my work chapter on work, I kind of dived into three different approaches and interviewed moms taking those approaches. And you basically just outlined those three approaches. Oh, how convenient. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, the, the full-time working moms I interviewed had a whole set of strategies and I have a full-time job. So I um, definitely fall into this category, but just making sure you do things like when you negotiate your salary, also consider negotiating your schedule. So maybe you need to work at home one day a week or make sure you leave by 5 p.m. every day or, you know, whatever it is that you need. It's it's important to advocate for yourself and make sure you're negotiating that and not feel embarrassed about it or, you know, skip it altogether. Um, and then the moms that stepped back um, from the workplace and took a more um, zigzag approach, as you put it, um, one thing that was really empowering was to make sure that they were still taking on contract work or freelance work and keeping their you know, all their LinkedIn accounts up to date. So they're still, they're ready to ramp up or down as, you know, fits their current schedule and current demands. And then um, the other category of moms I interviewed and learned so much from were the entrepreneurial moms who are launching businesses and, you know, being self-employed and being their own bosses. And that comes, of course, with its own set of challenges, as you know. Um, And yeah, I, I learned a lot from all of the moms I interviewed. Yeah. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah, and for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. 
Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Well, and I think that there's the the work ties in so well, like the psychological piece of it, right? So like when we kind of um, hand over the control of the finances um, and don't, and just, it's not that we don't want to know maybe, it's that we don't feel like we have the information or the wherewithal or the intelligence or whatever it is that we're so sheepish about it. Um, and then I think the same thing goes into work. And I see this a lot with entrepreneurial moms who don't charge a fair rate or are like, they almost feel like they should just be grateful that they get to make money from home. So yes. they shouldn't, so they shouldn't ever like actually ask for a fair market rate or they shouldn't, they should never negotiate. And I, it's subtle sometimes, but it's like, you're not just a mom who's like, you know, blogging during nap times or whatever it is that they're mm-hmm. doing. Like you're running a business and you have to look at it that way. So I, I think there's a lot of crossover why that mentality applies into both earning and then managing. Yeah, I think money. you're totally right. And you know, it all, it comes back to that, like it's like underselling ourselves. So that attitude of not charging enough, I mean, it's the same, same principle applies when, um, moms who are in a traditional job are not you know, negotiating for their next mm-hmm. raise or at their, their next salary when they're switching jobs. And I think, you know, moms, we just have this tendency to like put our kids first and to, to feel almost like we don't, we don't deserve the raise because we are having a more flexible schedule. So maybe we don't deserve that. And I am such a big advocate of, you know, letting go of that feeling because you are still working hard, contributing, being efficient. And there, that doesn't mean that you deserve to earn less. And I think a lot of the moms I interviewed, it actually helped them to think about their earning power, thinking directly about how much it's helping their families long term and, you know, providing for and supporting their families. And that helped sometimes thinking about it like that helps us to make sure we're advocating for ourselves. I agree. And I also think that it kind of trickles down. So if you're taking less um, for a job, sometimes what ends up then happening, and I've seen this happen a lot, is that then especially self-employed women, but probably also women in more traditional jobs end up kind of having to cobble together more just to Mm -hmm. keep up. So you end up having to take on more work, uh, more hours, whatever it is to actually be able to support your family because you didn't ask for or get enough in the first place. And then I also think sometimes that ends up leading to that feeling like your job is less important than your spouse's job, which I mean, has ends up becoming a whole big junk load of household, then it becomes like a household dynamic. That's a problem because then who's more in charge of the kids if dad earns more and the mom's job really doesn't matter. It's just this really weird dynamic that has a lot of 
It has like a lot of little tendrils that come off. Oh my gosh. It, it totally does. I've, I've been in both those positions where, um, you know, for a number of years, especially when my kids were super young, I was what some people call like mommy tracked or like yeah. kind of, um, you know, not in a super intense position. And so that meant everything at home fell to me because, you know, my husband was the one who had to make sure he wasn't missing any meetings. And right. then when I, when that switched and I took on a more intense or more responsibility at work. Um, I actually think it helped my relationship because it became more equal at home, Mm. you know, and like, it was like, no, I can't be the only one that's always doing all of the doctor's appointments and dentist appointments and, you know, managing all that. So yeah, it has widespread ramifications for all parts of our lives. Yeah. So what do you think is going on? Like, do you think that there's still a reluctance for, um, parents to pass that information on to their daughters? Do you think it's just cultural? Did we Maybe we just haven't caught up yet. We're still kind of in this generation coming. You know, we're like the first generation of working moms that really are embracing it, I think. Um, you yeah. know, and so maybe we just haven't figured out <laughs> how to really like, I don't know, catch up on the other side yet. I know. it's So as part of my research, I actually pulled up really old copies of U.S. News and World Report, which from the 1960s, where there were actually issues about women and money. And what really struck me and was disturbing to me is that back then, it was a lot of the same statements that we make today. Like, oh, we're making these mistakes, but our daughters, it'll be different for them. And yeah. you know, they'll make more empowering choices. Well, people have been saying that for you know, 50 plus years. So I think it really, we have to talk to our daughters about this and I mean, and our sons. And one thing that's so disturbing to me is that um, there's this big parenting survey done every year from T. Rowe Price about parenting and money. And even as young as eight, you start to see gender differences in how kids talk about money and how they say their parents are talking to them about money. And so, I mean, I have a son and a daughter and I, it makes me so much more aware of how making sure I'm actively talking to them, my daughter and my son about money and, you know, showing them that both mom and dad can do this, can earn money and spend money. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's a big thing that as moms we can take on is, you know, passing this on to our, our daughters. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, talking about it in general, um, and this is kind of stepping away from like the gender specific part of it, but I know sometimes, like even my husband and I have very different ways we talk about money in front of our kids. And I guess one thing we've we've sort of not done well is gotten on the same page about it. You know, there's kind of that like Monday morning quarterbacking. So we'll be talking about something the kids want and he'll say, well, we can't afford that. And my mm-hmm. thought is like, we shouldn't say can't afford. That is misleading because we'll spend that same amount on something else. And the kids are going to see that and be like, well, wait. <laughs> so, right. you know, maybe the more accurate thing is we're not choosing to spend money on that right now. Um that's just one example. But I think that getting on the same page about money um, with your spouse can be really a lot more difficult than it seems like it should be. Oh my gosh. It And also kids are so observant that if you're having any disagreement or tension, I, they so often observe that. Yes. I mean, I noticed um, I got in the really bad habit of actually letting my husband pay for everything when we yeah. were on family outings. So like I would eat not even my wallet is like much bulkier than his. So I would just leave it at home and, you know, he would pay. And this, of course, my daughter and son are probably thinking, you know, mommy doesn't know how to spend money or doesn't right. have that ability. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I stopped doing that. I know 
noticed, my daughter actually said, um, they, they noticed that, you know, I'm the one that is driving them around more and picking mm. them up from school. And um, one, one evening when I, we were kind of just planning our week and setting things up and I asked my husband if he could do pickup one night because I had to work late. And, you know, my daughter who was five got really upset and was basically said to me, you know, it's your job to get us. It's daddy's job to work. Like stop bothering him. <laughs> oh <laughs> man. Just, they're so perceptive. Yes. So I'm just trying to, you know, be very aware of the messages I'm sending. Yeah. That's, that is, I mean, and sometimes we, sometimes it's little stuff. Like you said, you know, your husband is paying because maybe he's just easier for him to get his yeah. wallet out or whatever. You know, you're, I don't want to dig through my purse. Would you pay or whatever? <laughs> and you don't notice always right away that those things, um, that they're adding up over time because we tend to just do stuff without really paying attention. I think sometimes to like the fact that we've done it that way every time for 52 weeks, then we're like, Oh no, you know? So I do think it makes a lot of sense to kind of take a step back and see how you have those conversations and who's paying for what. And like you said, you know, what are the kids seeing and what's the, what, what is their interpretation? Sometimes you can just ask them too. Like I've asked my kids questions before, like what, what do they think I do? They think I have a job <laughs> and it's, it's interesting to hear all their different responses. What do they you know? say? Well, I mean, some of them just, one of my sons, um, Owen, he's, he's 10 now thought that I just like messaged my friends all day. He thought that's what I was doing on the computer. And I guess I had just never really thought to explain to him that I actually am working. I, I mean, I guess, you know, I'll say I would sometimes say mommy has to work, but maybe he just kind of thought that was me blowing him off. I don't really know, right. you know? So now I try to be a lot more like outward with what I'm actually doing and how it contributes to our family's uh, finances and the fact that I'm running a business. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very like, they're like, Oh, you know, cause John, my husband leaves. And the funny thing mm -hmm. is he's self-employed too, but he just happens to go to clients, homes and businesses. And I just happened to do it all from home. So in their mind, he was like going to work and I was just doing whatever. I don't know. You know? Right. <laughs> so whatever it was, it wasn't real work. It was just emailing my friends and being on messenger or whatever That's so, so funny yeah. I think I think one challenge too is it's because so much of work these days it's it's so hard to know what are you doing on the computer like how do kids have insight into that it it does look like we're just sitting right there chatting or you know playing around and um the same goes for shopping too like paying bills is all automated when we're shopping and it's often online so I think it's it's more of a challenge for us to give them some insight into what we're doing or make it you know tangible for them um so so yeah, so with like online shopping, for example, I try now if I'm buying something for my daughter, I try to have her sit next to me and kind of scroll through to compare prices and I talk out loud, <laughs> say what yeah. I'm doing. But it's hard to give them insight into what we're doing when everything is kind of hidden away on the computer. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to kind of, I mean, I know this is something where it's so easy to say, okay, I know I should be, I should have more of a... Um, investment, I guess, in our family's finances. And I know that I need to do that, but it's already kind of running without me. How do I insert myself? Like, what's the first step? And I, I love it in the book. I think it was maybe in the second chapter, you sort of had this, almost this way of like, just kind of looking at your life and saying, what would make you feel <laughs> like a rich mom? You know, like what would yeah. make you feel and not just financially, but can you talk about that concept a little bit? Yeah. And then like the steps to go through to actually uh, do that? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's kind of two parts. So the big, big first step is to think, like, what are my goals? What are my financial goals in the short term and in the long term? And often this means, you know, talking about it with your partner, because like you were saying before, you want to make sure you're on the same page. And, you know, is it is it having a certain amount saved away for retirement? Is it being able to go on vacation once a year? Like, what is your vision for your family that would make you feel 
um, secure, financially secure. And the second part of that, and this, I, I like to do this in like a paper-based way, but it's some people do it digitally. It's all about getting kind of mega organized in like a really big picture kind of way, because it's so hard to make those choices that help you toward those goals. If your money feels scattered or you don't even know how to log into all your various accounts, Counts. So I advocate like a binder type system just because I tend to be more paper-based, but you need some way of having it all organized. You, if you're more into like an app-based, you could do it on something like Evernote. But basically having a, a space, a place where you can go once a month or at least once a quarter, usually with your partner, and you can sit down and go through each account and say, okay, are, are we working toward paying off our mortgage or is our renter's insurance up to date? You know, whatever all your accounts are, if you have a college account, college savings account, retirement account, reviewing them. And like often there needs to be small changes made, updates, update a beneficiary, maybe your family mem- family has grown, like whatever it is. There's often action steps we have to take. And it's so hard to even know what those are if we don't first feel organized. So it's really about asking yourself those big questions about your family financial goals um, and then you know taking those steps to have that organization system so you can dive into making those choices when you're ready. So you you do it in a binder. Can you tell me like exa- like what does that yes. look like? Do you yes. have things, okay. you know? I love describe your binder. I know everyone loves hearing about this stuff. (laughs) So happy to describe my binder. So I, it's so I have a white binder and I like it white. So I, it feels very clean and efficient. And I um, printed out a cover for it that makes me happy. So it says like family finances. And then I have about literally a dozen color file folders. Each one has a folder. So when uh, something comes in the mail, I can stick it there. But I think this is really important. I don't, keep that much paperwork. So I only keep the annual statement or the most recent statement. Um, and this, uh, this, so for each file folder, it's accounts like, or the other file folders are labeled things like mortgage, um, life insurance, uh, contact information for financial accounts, that kind of thing. So whatever accounts you have has to go there. And this actually, so I, I started this when we got into trouble, I completely forgot to pay our, um, homeowners insurance one year. And so it lapsed without me knowing it. And it was like, actually could have been really bad financially if, you know, something had happened during that time during the lapse. So now, so that inspired me. I realized, you know, I have to get on top of this and my husband certainly isn't going to do it. So it falls to me. So I I made the bind. (laughs) I sit down with it and I show, I go over it with my husband and we talk about things like, oh, should we try to make an extra mortgage payment this year and pay it down, you know, earlier if we can, or questions like that, that you couldn't even discuss if you didn't have that in front of you. So uh, to me, it's like an invaluable tool and I just love having it. And also if I, you know, God forbid I'm like in the hospital or unavailable, I, my husband knows where it is and he could, you know, pick it up and figure things out. So it also helps from that perspective, just so you know that someone could figure out everything if you were not available. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. 
the Chardonnay heeled sandal, which I know you love, Sarah, the Walk 23 classic sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time, and the Willa slip on flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa slip on flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. So let's talk about um, going back to kind of like a little bit of a smaller detail oriented thing. Another Mm -hmm. dynamic I've noticed a lot with moms and I've seen this when they're self-employed. I've seen it when they're traditionally employed. Like I've seen it kind of across the board is that when, um, and I, we've kind of done both like keeping all of our finances together, separating them out. And we sort of have a hybrid. I don't know what your system is like, but it's kind of like a hybrid where we have like one main account we pay everything out of, but then we both also have sort of our own little, you know, we have like our own accounts that we can also use for whatever the thing is that we're in charge of or our discretionary. But what I often see happening is the moms end up being the ones who pay for things that are really family, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, family expenses like kids need a new pair of shoes. Mom will pay for that. Yeah. Um, not necessarily because dad wouldn't pay for it, but because it typically is that mom's already at the store and she usually is the one who's more involved with that kind of thing. So she knows there's a hole in the sneaker. So, you know, she's the one who buys them, <laughs> but then that kind of comes out of whatever her. So it's always like kind of having to justify a lot of those expenses, I guess. I feel like moms often end up in that position. Have you heard that from moms that you've talked to? Yeah. So it's definitely true that moms make 90%. I think the figure is 90% of the household purchases. And everyone approaches this differently. So some of the moms I interviewed do have a kind of more separate his, her kind of account where the mom then is paying, like you're saying, out of her account for these household expenses. Personally, I find it easier and it just works for us to have everything completely combined. So I don't even kind of make that distinction. Um, We just have one account and we, I mean, we have our own credit cards, but Mm -hmm. everything is coming out of that one account. And that's just how we've always done it. Um, But it's, it's actually increasingly common to not do it that way, to have more of separation. 
Um, so yeah, definitely talk to moms who do that too. I think the main thing is like not making it secretive or having that transparency to make sure it's fair. Cause I mean, if you have like, you know, $200 a month for your discretionary expenses and then <laughs> 150 is going for the household costs, like that's right. not fair. So right. yeah. yeah, just talking it through and making sure you can see and reviewing it together. I love online banking for this because you can, it's so easy now to sit down. I mean, some people like using a tool for it, like mint.com or something. Thing. But if you have online banking that gives you that insight, you can just sit down and log in together um, while your kids are distracted doing something else and, you know, go through everything. So you, you're on the same page. So let's talk another big thing that you've talked about. Um, and especially I think it was in a chapter you had about timing and like timing. And and for a lot of us, that's a moot point because we've already had our kids. So <laughs> the, the opportunity to time that well is past. Um, but I, I do want to touch on at least two of the, the major expenses that come up with um, yeah. having a new baby and I guess probably school and childcare are the two that scare people the most because yes. they're especially childcare. If you work, it's, it's an, it's a necessity. It's not going anywhere. Um, health costs I think have become more and more just because I feel like everyone's insurance premiums keep going up and um, it's, and that's another thing that's going to increase when you have another kid. I mean, it doesn't really matter how much you save on clothes by shopping at the thrift store. <laughs> Insure, there's no way to buy insurance at a discount that I know of. Um, so I guess, can you talk about those, those big ticket items and are there kind of tricks that moms can use to save money on those or to even like you mentioned flex spending? Does that, yeah. is there any way to get a you know, kickback on childcare, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So I think one interesting thing to note is that for parents, and actually this is true for non-parents too, but two-thirds of our income, so the vast majority of our take-home pay, is going to three life, three things. And they, they really revolve around lifestyle. So um, it's transportation, food, and housing. So okay. if we can – if we, I think that's an insight that has always kind of helped me because it really shows you, you know, if you can think about adjusting certain things – and the easiest one there, of course, is food. Right. You can actually have a really big impact over time time. So my family did this, um, recently where we realized, so we have like a Friday night pizza night tradition. Like we get pizza, watch a movie and we usually, well, until recently we ordered it. And at least where I live, that's like $30 for two large pizzas for four people. And we just recently realized that if we make the pizza ourselves, it's literally $8 for the ingredients. My kids love making it. It's super fun. And that's like $1,200 a year in savings. Yeah. yeah. And like that can go right into their college account instead. So um, little, sometimes little changes. And it's really doesn't, I mean, that, for example, for us, it was, it wasn't a sacrifice at all. It was, was actually, I thought, more fun um, to switch. So sometimes little changes like that can actually have a big impact over time. Um, so just looking out for your overall lifestyle expenses and what you can adjust with with the one, the big one you mentioned, childcare, which I, you're right, like it's so intimidating and it can just be, you know, it can feel like it's eating up all of your, your income. Mm. So the, the big thing that can help there is flex spending. If you have access to flex spending accounts through your workplace, or your partner's workplace, you can pay $5,000 on a pre-tax basis for those costs. So sometimes things like that and just planning ahead, it certainly, it does take paperwork. And so that can be, you know, it's a hassle, but it saves you so much money. So just putting the t time into setting that up, it will pay off. Um, and then the last one I just wanted to mention was with health insurance. It Health insurance costs can get so expensive when you have so much 
many family members because you're tracking not just your own costs, but also your kids. And health insurance companies make mistakes all the time. They might, you know, deny a claim mm. um, that they shouldn't have. So if you can just be organized enough to follow up on all of that. Um, there was one year I saved my family literally $800 just because of rejected claims that were done in error. Um, and you know, just follow up, make the calls and, you know, try to, you can save hundreds of dollars a year doing that. I've actually, you know, because my husband and I are both self-employed, so we have to go through the healthcare marketplace now. Um, and they also, you can't really get a major medical account only anymore. <laughs> that was, you know, part of the new, the new legislation. So, you know, now we have to have like a full coverage account or a full coverage policy, which is fine, except there's so many of them. And I've often thought we just end up picking, choosing the one we think because nobody wants to get on the phone anymore. And the last thing I really want to do is call someone at healthcare.gov and talk to them on the right. phone. Um, but I'm actually thinking I need to call someone and, and have them walk me through it because I don't know that I'm making the right choice. Like, I don't know if the plan, you know, I think we went with silver this year. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really, it looks great because my deductible's lower and they've gotten so ridiculously high that, and my, you know, the out of pocket and all that stuff. It's intimate. It's like those have gotten to be an intimidatingly large amount on those policies. Yeah. But I think that that might be something where it would be helpful to talk to someone, even if it's, you know, maybe a high, someone you hire outside of that. I sometimes wonder how much money I could be saving on that kind of thing. <laughs> If I would just like ask someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one thing, one little trick I found, if you are, if you do end up needing to interact directly with a, a provider, like a health insurance provider, is they've all really invested in their uh, customer service via social media. So oh, okay. for me, sending a direct message over Twitter gets me such a quicker response than calling. So if I'm having a trouble, like they haven't paid my, they've denied a claim in error, I almost always do it over Twitter. It takes me like a minute or two. They follow up. It's all private because it's done over direct message. Yeah. Um, but it's very efficient. And when you're a busy mom, that helps a lot. That helps a lot. And, you know, when you got kids napping or whatever, no one wants yeah. to be on the phone. So no. I didn't even, I would never have thought about that because I would have just assumed whoever was checking their social wasn't, you know, qualified to make those kind of decisions or whatever, or like help. But I guess, um, like you said, they're beefing, they're all beefing it up. Yeah, it's completely changed in the last few years. So now I feel totally comfortable going over Twitter for that. I will also say, like, similar to that, there are um, a lot of uh, technology companies and things have separate social accounts set up just to help people. And they're not always even the main one. So, like, I know Verizon, we had a problem oh, a few years ago. We accidentally paid, like, $2,000 for oh. the Verizon bill <laughs> instead of 200 And then it all got caught up in some kind of, <laughs> like, there wasn't um, – there wasn't a number, like a confirmation number associated with it or something, so they couldn't refund them. It was crazy. So oh anyway, the only way we got any satisfaction was just went on Twitter. And <laughs> when I put in Verizon, this other account came up, and basically this guy's job – I don't even know if he works for Verizon. But I think his job is just to basically to, like, hassle them and wow. make sure people get taken care of. So – and that got resolved really fast. So if you're hitting, like, dead ends um, – Go to some, Twitter. Yeah, go to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> It'll, people will set up all these accounts and have not, they're not doing anything else except just you know, <laughs> hassling customer service on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Um, now, what about um, education? I know that's another big one that is very confusing for people, especially because, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of money right now when your kids are really little to start s saving for college. And what do you do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's that's so hard. One. 
Yeah. So first of all, okay, one thing I noticed is that we definitely have the intuition to save for college before saving for our own retirement. And this is actually a very common thing that a lot of moms do. But it's it's so important before you even think about saving for college to make sure that you're saving for yourself, for your own future, for retirement, whether you're working right now or not. So even if you're outside a traditional workplace. Um, like I mentioned before, you could, you have other options like a spousal IRA and it's just so important to make sure you're taking care of that. So that aside, so once you've taken care of your retirement, you're making progress toward that. It's so, it's such a great idea to start as soon as possible with a college savings account because, you know, it's coming no matter how old your, your kids are. And I, I so wish I had done this earlier, like right when my kids were born, just because then it gives you that much more time to have, you know, the benefit of compound interest and growing over time. So the sooner you can do it, the, you know, the bigger your account will probably be. Um, but it's pretty easy now and all the states offer different kinds of plans, but the 529 plans give you tax advantages, um, as the money grows over time. And you can even set it up in something like a, uh, index fund where you have a target date for when your child is going to go to college. So if you, if you want to take a more hands-off approach and you don't want to be, you know, constantly logging in and shuffling things around, uh, I certainly don't have time for that either. So I really, I think it's like a very convenient tool for parents, for busy parents who want to automate that. So you can even have it set up. So uh, you have whatever amount it is like for us, I think right now it's $200 a month into a college savings account. And it just helps me feel like at least, I, even though I know that's a big looming cost in the future, at least I know I'm making even small steps toward it because that helps make it feel a little bit less overwhelming. You mentioned retirement. And I think since we're talking about college aged kids, we can't not discuss the fact that, um, some of them are going to come back. <laughs> I like yes. that you mentioned that in your book. And I think that's something, you know, when we're planning for retirement, we don't always think about the fact that your retirement years may still include some parenting of some sort, um, whether it's actually parenting or just lending a basement or a bedroom yes. or something to a young adult kid. So how do you plan for that? I mean, nobody wants to be defeatist and be like, yeah, my kid's going to be 30 and won't be able to get a job. But at the same time, I think that it can actually help everybody in the long run um, if you kind of plan for some of that returning to the nest. It can. And actually what I love about this is that it can be such a win-win kind of situation. So some of the families that I profiled in the book, they actually made sure they were both benefiting. So it wasn't like the adult child was just draining, was right. just, you know, sucking money and energy away from their parents. So the kids, the adult kids, they can give back in so many ways. I mean, from, you know, helping their parents set up their social media accounts or websites or, you know, whatever skills they have to offer, even if it's making dinner or cleaning up. Um, there's so many ways to make sure that both sets of people are benefiting from that. Um, one of my favorite stories in the book is actually a family I followed for 10 years, starting from when the adult kids moved back home. Um, and then they had kids and the, the, the daughter and her husband had kids and the grandparents then um, became such helpful. They cared for the kids. And then when the grandparents went traveling, because they loved um, traveling in their retirement, then the grown the daughter would take care of the dog, you know, her parents' dog. So yeah. it was such a win-win situation. So I think it, you have to find that so one person doesn't feel, you know, taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been so great, Kimberly. And where can um, people, I'm assuming the book is available. Um, the book is Smart Mom, Rich Mom, How to Build Wealth While Raising a Family by Kimberly Palmer. Available at bookstores everywhere. 
Yes, it okay. just came out. Thank you. Yeah, so it's in bookstores on Amazon. My website is Kimberly-Palmer.com. And I lo- I'm on Twitter, Kimberly Palmer. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And it's definitely a great read, even if you are feeling completely overwhelmed by this conversation, because I know <laughs> it's a lot of stuff to, t- to cover in one episode of a podcast. But um, the book really walks you through it. So you'll be able to kind of see what are the big buckets or the big, I guess, rocks you need to put in the bucket or whatever the analogy is. And then um, how to kind of go through and do those really important things, even if you're starting totally from scratch. So it's been great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Megan. It was so fun. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com.